Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. Last week, uh, Brian was finishing up Romans 8. Uh, one of the most beautiful and powerful preaching passages in what I would say is in all of Scripture. Paul proclaims that we are wonderfully eternally, permanently, forever covered in, this, in soaking in the deep love of God. And then Brian spent, I was listening to it, Matt, last night, and, and looked, he spent half of his message on one verse. Why that? He spent it on this. What shall we say about such wonderful things? So before we go, go into today, I want to go through those wonderful things. He talked about things like Christ paying the penalty for our sin and taking that sin upon himself. And then God places the righteousness of Christ on you who receive him. It's yours. And not only does he place it on there, but he presses it in. Right? It's imputed. It's put on and pressed upon you. That he chose you to become like his son. He gives us full access to himself. No matter what kind of mess you had this morning or yesterday or this week, you have full access to the presence of God. He places his own Holy Spirit within you. I don't know if that gets you amped up, but that gets me amped up. I have the Spirit of God. And if you've received Christ, you have the Spirit of God living and dwelling within you. God then gives us power and passion to please Him. He directs us and guides us to accomplish His purposes. He is no longer against me. He is for me. He is for me. He is for me. The God that made it all is for me because of Christ. Now I'm going to read this as if I were preaching it, but this is just me reading the Scripture to talk about what power and what passion that Paul has here. And so I'm going to sound a little Southern Baptist. I might sweat. I might need a towel here in a little bit, okay? But here we go. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or even threatened with death? No, despite all these things, 
overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is found, that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, that's good. Let's go, right? That is Paul lit up on fire with the truth of who God is. And so now, after reveling in that, and boldly proclaiming the amazing love of God poured out on us and secured for us by Jesus Christ, Paul turns his thoughts and his words back to the Jews. And get ready for an emotional roller coaster because we're as high as we can go and he's about to take it down. It gets painful at this moment. His kinsmen, his family members, his heritage, his parents, his siblings, his closest friends, his favorite teachers, his childhood pals are rejecting all that beautiful, wonderful power. And his heart is broken It's been 35 years since Christ was resurrected to the time of this letter being written. And it has become abundantly clear to him that they are saying no. And they have not accepted Jesus as the promised Messiah in the book of the law that they so desperately cling to. The vast majority of them have turned Jesus away. What pain there is. Verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 1. With Christ is my witness. I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience is clear and the Holy Spirit confirms it. So he's saying this, saying, I am under the authority of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm what, what I'm about to, to say to you. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Ow. Unending grief and pain because they won't say yes. How many of you know somebody that you love and it is the most painful? Thank you. Thank you. Lord, keep working on us and keep working on them and keep calling us out into those fields and those harvest fields where we might proclaim the gospel in a way that they receive it, they can accept it, 
Because it's only by your power and by your spirit that anyone can be saved. But help us to be a part of that plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This lets us know that it's okay to grieve for those who are refusing Christ. Perhaps they're ignoring us and it's a wound. And so, if they persist, it is certain eternal death for them. So let's, let's just keep our eyes focused on that as we move forward here. Paul then moves on and talks a little bit more about why this is so tragic. Why it's so painful for him. Chapter uh, 9, verse 4. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made, his, he made covenants with them and gave, him, gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Christianity, this faith that we all follow, is a Jewish religion. It's launched by Jewish people, It's all written around a Jewish Messiah. It's got Jewish authors all the way through. You know, for a long time, we thought there was one Gentile author. How many of you have heard that Luke was a Gentile? Well, there's new evidence to look at this and say, maybe not. You see, he talks about this, this issue where Luke was a companion of Paul, and Paul was accused of bringing Gentiles into the court of the Jews. And, and Luke says he didn't do it. He was not guilty of that crime. That was a punishable by death. All right? So don't bring Jew, or non-Jews into the court. And so we see not a whole lot of evidence other than his name that he was a Gentile, it's more likely that he was a, a Hellenized or a Romanized Jew. So we think that maybe all of this scripture is written by Jews. You have a Jewish book, right? And even if Luke is a Gentile, it was still initiated by Paul and overseen by Paul, right? And so there it is. The prophets were Jews. The apostles, Jews. The first disciples, Jews. You follow a Jewish faith. Well, then why has God allowed all those Jews to reject? He permitted it, right? They had it all, but why did they reject He wanted to use Jews to save the world. The light of the Jews was shown to the Gentiles. And we can see through the history of the Jews and the oracles of the Jews 
that the Jew named Jesus is God, sent to save us whom God has chosen. The promises made to Abraham and the whole world, oh, sorry, the promises made to Abraham were that the whole world would be blessed through Abraham's descendant. And that promise came true in Jesus. But God has no favorites. You are not chosen just because you are a descendant of the bloodline of Abraham or because you were born a Jew. Whether, there be, whether they be Jews or heathens does not matter. They don't get the favorite, favorite status. So Paul explains this in the coming text. Chapter 9, verse 6, here we go. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Through Abraham, and though Abraham had other children too. Right? Was Isaac the firstborn? No, Ishmael was. So, two sons born of the same father, Abraham, one is chosen and one is not. And Paul goes further. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. That's not all of our, but, you know, the Jewish ancestor, Isaac, right? When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins, two So not only is it the same father, but it's the same mother, and even of the same birth. And the firstborn comes, Esau, not chosen, right? Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, chosen. It's pretty painful, right? Before, verse 11, but before they were born, before they had done anything, good or bad, she received a message from the Lord. This message shows that God chooses people according to His own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. Right? So if you got called, it's not because you're better. It's not because you're worse. It's His purposes that reign. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the Scriptures, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. You are not chosen based on your ability to be good. Whether you be the least 
or the greatest sinner makes no difference. Jesus' power forgives all of it, no matter the amount. You are not chosen based on your abilities or anything that you can do. You are not chosen because of your future, like (laughs) how great your potential could be, right? You are not, you don't have to be more powerful, more capable, more gifted, more strong, more able. You don't have to be any of those things. You are chosen according to the purposes of God. Now you might look at that and say, does that seem fair? In human thinking, it seems unfair, doesn't it? Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He just picks them? Let's not be human in that thinking. Paul addresses this. Romans 9, 14-19. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not! For God said to Moses, I will, sh- I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show my compassion to anyone I choose. You see, maybe we're starting on the wrong foot, thinking that everyone deserves to be saved. That is not the case. And we learned that earlier. We've been in the books of, book of Romans, so go to 1, chapter 1. Read there. Who's worthy? None. All fall short. Not one. So that, don't start there thinking that any of us ever deserve to be saved. That is not the case. Don't start there. That's human thinking. He shows mercy and compassion to anyone he chooses. So it is God who decides to show, who to show mercy. Who can, we can neither choose it nor work for it. So in case you think you were just good enough to choose, not even that can be credited to you. Don't take credit for that. For the Scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so that they would refuse to listen. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them to do? Right? Paul makes sure here that you see that Pharaoh was appointed to be a rejecter, right? To be hardened in his heart against God. It seems unfair, right? Why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them to do? Now it says, no! Don't say that! So that's not a scripture that you should apply to your life. Right? No! Don't say that! I am blown out the system here by yelling no. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Boom. Should the thing that was created say to the one that created it, 
Why did you make me this way? When a potter makes jars of clay, makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw into the throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, right? He has the right to do that first. He is very patient with them on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. Now, this is one of the most argued, debated topics, the predestination and appointment of God. If you, if you went to a Christian college, you know what I'm talking about. They argue about this until your ears bleed and your mouth goes dry. Right? Can I get an amen from anybody that knows what I'm talking about? They just do. It's just. And so... Let's establish that he chooses in his almightiness. Right? His, he has the right. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows his mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected from both the Jews and the Gentiles. Why is a mere human being incapable and of understanding the perfect choices of God? I'm going to give you three reasons why God, and this, is, this list could go on for days, but I'm just going to give you three reasons why God can make these decisions in advance, right? First is this, perfect character. How many of you have perfect, flawless, never-erroring character? Anybody in the room have it? If you think you do, you are so deceived. Right? He is moral. He is just. He is loving. His motive is entirely perfect and good. Yours and your understanding is not. If you are one like me, I know you, No. Right? Don't think that. That's why he so strongly says, no, don't say that. Also this, for knowledge. How many of you know, knew what happened when you were born? How many of you can remember every event that has ever happened in the history of everything that has ever happened among everyone at every place, at every time, throughout all of history, from beginning to end, all at once? How many of you got that skill? If you think you do, no, you do not. Perfect foreknowledge. He knew it all at the beginning, before, be- long before. Perfect choice is his third characteristic. He has never gone, don't. There might be a red mark there later, but you get what I mean? He never goes, oh, shoot. He never, ever does that. He's perfect. He never makes a mistake. Remember that next time you look in the mirror. Never makes a mistake. Anytime you think life is going out of control, remember, no errors. 
in him. Not one. In his infinite, in his infinite foreknowledge and in his perfect character and his perfect ability to choose and his perfect justice, he chose some to become like his son. You may be saying, Justin, where are you getting all this? Because where's the Bible verses? Because I like Bible verses. Let's go there. Romans 8, 28. We're back in Romans 8 again. Whoo! Now it's time to ride this roller coaster up again, right? Here it is. Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. For God knew in advance everything. Right? And He chose, this is like, welcome down to kids' church, right? He knew in advance, and He chose, I need you to do this with me, this is kids' church. He knew in advance, and he chose. Sorry, I almost tripped there. I'm getting so excited. Can't even walk right. So that his son, he chose them to become like his son. And so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's building a family for himself. And having chosen them, he called them. Knew them, chose them, called them. Knew them, chose them, called them. Got it? He knew them, he chose them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave right standing with himself. Knew, called. You know, knew, chose, called, gave right standing through Christ. Amen? You're in. You're in. He gave them right standing with Himself. And He gave them glory. Woo! I'm pretty pumped about this. I don't know if you can tell that. Boom! He knew that. I just made that last one up. But I like sparkling. Okay. Can you do, that's part of it. Can you do that? Anyway, it's a little trick I can do. He knew. He chose. He called. He gave them right standing. He gave them his glory. Boom. I love it. So there it is. If you have come to Christ, it was because you were chosen in his infinite foreknowledge, his perfect justice. He chose some to become like his son so that they might be brought into the family of God. So he called them and he drew them to himself by his love and by his mercy. And when they came by faith, he, by means of the cross, placed Christ upon them and gave them the righteousness of Jesus, the promised Messiah. If you came to Christ, it wasn't your ability to choose. You were chosen. Not by any merit of your own. Nothing of that is yours. 
take no credit whatsoever. Just praise the Lord. So now, let's continue in this text today. 9.25. So now you, you were in 8. So go, go back to 9. Verse 25. Concerning the Gentiles, God says this in the prophecy of Hosea. Time out. I did remember. It's going to get PG up in this place. Okay. Those who were called not my people, I will now call my people. This is concerning the Gentiles. Those who were not my people, now they're my people. Right? And, and those, and I will love those who before I did not love. And then, at the place that they were told, you were not my people, there you will be called children of the living God. How many of you feel better now? That you're not Jewish. Right? Uh, I, Jews are great. When I had my first, I had a student who was Jewish come to Christ. And I got about as psyched up as I could get. Right? Because I'm like, one of the chosen has been chosen. And he came to Christ and I wept. I, I remember I wept when I led my first student to Christ. And I wept when I led my first Jew Jesus. And I wish I could say I take credit for that, but nope, just praising him. He I just got to be a part of it. Thank you. His purposes, his plan, his power, his strength, his motivation. I was a bad tool in the shed beforehand. But because of what Christ did, he was able to use me for his purposes, right? So don't take the credit for yourself, but what a glorious thing that was. So let's talk a little bit about Hosea. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Hosea was a, a, a prophet, a godly man. And God comes to him and says, you're going to marry, here's where it gets PG, you're going to marry a nasty prostitute. What? Right? And you're going to love her, and she's going to cheat on you, She's going to cheat on you with two other men, and there will be two children. The first one you're going to name Lo Ruhama, which means not loved. And the second one you're going to name it Lo Ami, which means not my people or not mine. How many of you want to grow up with that name? Not loved, not mine. Hey, what's up, not loved? Eat your dinner. Right? What's up? Not mine. Those are cruel names, aren't they? For a father to give his children. I'm hoping God changes this story, and he does. Gomer, the prostitute that he marries, gets sold into the worst sorts of nastiness and becomes enslaved. Right? And he says, now, Hosea. Buy her back. Go get her. Bring her back to yourself. Even though she's cheating and she's adulterous 
and she's had two children that are not yours and not loved. Go get her. And he gets her. He buys her back. And he takes her into his home and he treats her as his wife. And then he goes up to Loruhama and Loami. He says, I'm changing your names. I'm changing your names. No more low for you. You are loved. And you are mine. Could you imagine being one of those kids? I would have thought that he was the worst father in the world, <laughs> but he was doing up to bigger things for the purposes of God. Man, think about that. And he's saying that we are Ruhama, loved, and we are Ami, his people. How good does it feel? It is good to be loved to be Ami and Ruhama. Man, I'm running so long, but that's okay. Let's finish it out here. What does all this mean? Verse 30, 930. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, He made them right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. It is by faith. They believed, right? They were, they were, God knew them. He chose them. He called them. And they came by faith. Right? Came by faith. And because they did my standing, glory. We do that all day. Now, Paul addresses what about the devout Jews, right? What about them? But the people of Israel, verse 31, but the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? This is, uh, he's going to later quote Isaiah here, but why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting him they stumbled over a great over the great rock in their path god warned them of this in the scriptures when he said this is the book of isaiah i am placing a stone in jerusalem that makes people stumble a rock that makes them fall but anyone who trusts in the lord will never be disgraced will never be disgraced. So what was that rock? What was that thing that they stumbled over? It was the law. Instead of trusting the one the law foretold, they tried to trust the law itself. And that is a mistake. It is a stumbling error. And in this book that they studied so hard that pointed to the Messiah... They didn't look up. They just tripped right over it. So what is the good news? Today, if you have received Christ, you are chosen, not forsaken, 
You are a child of God. How many of you like that song a little bit more now? I am chill. I'm going to invite the band back up at this point. Come on. Our perfect God foreknew you. Our perfect God chose you. Our perfect God called you. Our perfect God has given you right standing with himself. He has placed you in his kingdom. You are no longer lo ruhama and lo ami. You are the loved ruhama. You are his very own possession, his ami. Some of you may be here today and are like, I do not know what he is talking about. I, uh, but I'm here today, and I'm starting to think that this is for me, that maybe God is choosing me. And how do you know if that's you? Do you hear him calling you? Saying, come. I choose you to come and be made like my son. I have made a way for you to have right standing with Jesus, with myself, with God himself, right? Jesus made a way. And so if you're hearing that call, just say, okay, I'm in. By faith, I believe I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit. I believe I'm being led by God. I believe that I am a person who needs to say, yes, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I'm sorry for who I've been. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry that I was making myself in my own image and doing what I want. Change me, Lord, and make me to be like Jesus instead. I'm done with this me that I am. Bring me to you. Take me. I am yours. By faith, I believe. Would you, everybody... Close your eyes and bow your head. If that's you today and you want to say, I think I'm called, I'm being called out, listen to the voice of God saying, come. Claim Jesus as yours. Say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. I don't want to be who I used to be on my own. I want to be yours. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Make me like Jesus from now on. Teach me about him. Show me about him. I want to be his follower. I want to be a disciple. I want to be taken out of who I was and made into who you call me to be. I want to be used for the purposes of God. I, I receive the offering made to me in Jesus Christ. I take him as my own. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you did that today, you heard the voice of God and you responded, welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome.
it's not going to be easy from this point. Not everything is going to get better. But man, get ready. It's coming. Amen. Let's pray together as we sing. As, or let's, actually, let's read this last scripture together. If you've claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is now true about you Gentiles. And even you Jews who chose to become Messianic Jews or Jews who believe in Jesus. It's this. It's Ephesians 2, 19-22. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are His house. Built on the foundation of the apostles, those Jewish apostles, right? And prophets. And the cornerstone of this foundation is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. It's not just about the Gentiles, though. If you're a Jew here today, I would encourage you to choose to become a true child of Abraham by receiving Jesus Christ, the promised one who was foretold to Abraham. Amen? You are chosen. You are chosen. For more information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.